Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. But stop, stop, stop the music. Stop the music. Enough with the fanfare and the over-the-top intros. Let's dance a little bit. You know, sometimes you go to the vinyl shop, Seth. Mr. Spotlow, thank you for joining me this evening. Yeah. And your roommate picks up a 12-inch... Yes, record. <laughs> a 12-inch single. Because he's stuck listening to Cool in the Gang. I don't mind it, though. <laughs> so this is the song Fresh with the dance mix with the heavy bass. <laughs> Getting down to this. Our little quadraphonic setup in the living room. But there's a lot on my mind tonight, Mr. Spotlow. And folks, welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Thank you for humoring me if you didn't switch off the dial for my little dance break there. But I could go on and on, as I have done before the last few times you've come here, Seth, about uh, foreign policy. I'll just say that it's mighty convenient now that the U.S. is going through with a withdrawal. In a way, that word really sums up a whole manner of sins, like alcohol withdrawal, opiate withdrawal. And it's almost like those same sort of pains to get on the other side of some addiction. We're also going through troop withdrawal. Oh. And there are some establishment figures up there in D.C., Democrats and Republicans, left and right, who are not a fan of our dear president withdrawing troops from Syria, even though this is what he ran on, it's what he promised. It, what, it seems to make sense to me. But it, terrorist attacks, especially, this is what I was worried about. Uh, the insurgency. Like, well, ISIS isn't completely defeated. I mean, they've lost all their territory. They really don't control any geography, but there are a few guys still left. And unfortunately, I don't want to make light of it, a single suicide bomber took out four Americans yesterday. Mm-hmm. But if the rationale is to stay until ISIS is defeated, are you now counting ISIS as a small insurgency mixed into the population? Or one guy with a suicide bomber vest? We have to get rid of all of them? How do you get rid of all of them? How do you find them? You, you don't. Can't. This is why we've been in Afghanistan for... What now going on 18 years? Every time something like this happens, they always take, you know. Well, a lot of this, a lot of this has been happening for years now. Mm -hmm. And yet, now that we're going into the withdrawal period, the major news networks are covering this all the time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight, folks. But war is the health of the state. It's the health of the establishment. It's the health of the deep state. And there are a lot of people, Democrats and Republicans, 
whether it's Chuck Schumer and little Dick Durbin or Marco Rubio or Lindsey Graham, they see the role of the United States as that of global cop. You know, I'm not over here saying bring all the troops home. Well, not yet. And Donald Trump isn't either. He's just getting out of that quagmire, that bloody war in Syria. And yet they're freaking out already. Like, this can't stand. And believe you me, bad things may happen in Syria without the U.S. troops there, but bad things also happen with them there. I just think it's interesting how uh, subservient, how brown-nosing, how up the... I'll back off. The media is to the deep state and the military-industrial complex, to quote Eisenhower. I'll leave it at that tonight, because I could get on, you know, going. <laughs> but let's do a fun story, Seth. And first, how are you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. I'm feeling good. I'm, I've started weight training along oh. with the yoga. It's going well. Yeah. I heard you were Mr. Physical Fitness. Yeah. Well, I'm not quite there yet. No, it's you're a, getting there one you step at keep, a time. Yeah. Work at it each day. Some days are better than others. But yeah, it's a, it's part of a, a betterment program. Yeah. Making myself better. That's awesome, man. I'm doing it just in a different way than you are. Really? Yeah. How? Uh, just like I, I have gotten a raise. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, under bad circumstances, but I yes. still have gotten a raise. Right, that's uh, good. Uh, still sucking toes up here. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> yeah. good. Sometimes you got to do that. Hey, man, ain't nothing wrong with it. Got to start when somewhere. When the old billionaire sugar mama wants the toes sucked, it, you suck. Yeah, the, suck the toes, and you right. don't. You don't complain about the jam. Ugh, you just grab out the crackers and the knife, and you spread it on your cracker. And you know, it's I'm all for people experimenting, finding whatever way it is to make your life better. Now, apparently, due to these you know new studies, say men are more likely to engage in self-medication. And it can be a destructive cycle. I mean, alcoholism, drug abuse. But we go from one really gross metaphor of sucking toes, unless you're into that sort of thing. I'm not. A I'm toe not guy. either. I'm not a foot guy. That's weird. Yeah, man. But, I mean, some people like weird. Hey, to each his own. To each his own. But we'll go from that disgusting metaphor to a weird, but true, disgusting news story about a man, a young 33-year-old who finds himself so wise that he started to self-medicate, not with alcohol, not with Percocet or Oxycontin. With what? Not even with heroin. <sighs> why, don't you, why don't you guess some more? I don't know. Rubbing alcohol. Nope. Uh, something goofy. No, it wasn't even vanilla bean. Re oh, my goodness. I've heard of drunks doing that. Really? Um, it, it wasn't the wacky-backy. It wasn't weed. No mescaline? No mescaline. Aww. No peyote. No magical mushrooms. No LSD. No, not even DMT. Sorry, Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> no, this guy self-medicated. Robitussin. Not Robitussin. No. No, he wasn't taking over ridiculous amounts of Benadryl. He wasn't even like engaging in self-medication like comfort eating. He wasn't going and getting you know, five Big Macs or something. Not even that. We were on the same page with that. I, I was thinking Big Macs too. Right. 
No, this... Excuse me, pardon me, ladies and gentlemen, but this story came up in my news feed, and I cannot let it go. Because, yes, I think there is some truth to the idea that young men in particular sometimes are so confident, they self-medicate, and they do really idiotic things. (laughs) What do you do? This is from Gizmodo. Quote, In a new case study, Irish doctors report the baffling case of a 33-year-old man who injected his own semen intravenously for a year and a half, a self-developed quote-unquote cure intended to treat his chronic back pain. Does not appear to have worked. (laughs) After reportedly injecting his own semen into his arm every month for 18 months, the man finally sought medical attention, but not for his arm. The patient instead complained of severe, sudden-onset lower back pain. Maybe you need to do some DDP yoga, bro. (laughs) Stretch out that spine, strengthen that core. Anyway, having lifted a heavy steel object three days before, that's when the lower back pain. Yeah, maybe you threw out, you know, you crushed a disc or something. You got a herniated disc. During his checkup, the doctor found a patch of red swelling on his right forearm. Can you imagine being a doctor? <laughs> this guy's complaining about his back, and then you go, wait, what's that, what's that on your arm? <laughs> After which the man admitted he had been injecting himself with his own semen using a hypodermic needle he purchased online. Online? Oh. Oh. And he said this time around, because his back was hurting so much, he injected three doses. What do you call it? A healthy dose of your own self. <laughs> oh, it's just entering both his blood vessels and his muscles. <laughs> no, but here's here's the, the doctor talking very clinically. This is the first reported case of semen injection for use as a medical treatment. <laughs> That's it's a new case study called Semenly, Harmless Back Pain. <laughs> an unusual presentation of a subcutaneous abscess. <laughs> uh, seemingly self-medication. Yeah. The swollen region grew and hardened around the area on his arm where he'd injected his semen and an x-ray revealed an area of trapped air. Oh my god. Man, he could have easily gotten a blood clot and died. That would have killed him. Yeah. But after they treated him with some of their own actual medicine, his back pain subsided and he discharged himself. <laughs> but I love that the doctors are writing in this case study, quote, Although there is a report of the effects of subcutaneous semen injection into rats and rabbits, okay, there so are no cases of this in humans across the literature. This, this story is, this is a goldmine for a talk radio show host, folks. Number one, you are having back pain. It's crazy enough to want to administer your own fluids into your body. But you think because you're having lower back pain, hmm, let me inject it into my right forearm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting enough, uh, never mind, the way he produced his medication. Yeah, I was. Uh, how'd he get it? But then, other than that, there are actually medical researchers out there who went, hmm... Why don't we inject semen into rats and rabbits? And it worked for something, apparently. It's just like, this is it's astounding. It's gross, number one. It's astounding, number two. It's 
idiotic. It's amazing that he was not the first person to think about this. <laughs> well, I'm, I'd imagine he's not. He's just the first one who admitted it. I mean, and why in the world are you going to buy your needles off the line? <laughs> right. Be like a normal diabetic and get it from CVS. <laughs> well, and the doctors, the doctor authors of this case study offered a warning at the end of their study. <laughs> it's dangerous for the untrained to perform intravenous injections on themselves, especially when they're injecting things that aren't supposed to be injected into veins, like semen. <laughs> <laughs> and he is so lucky the air bubbles didn't kill him. Yeah, he could have easily ended up dead. That's just such a bizarre story. I just can't believe he's not dead. Yeah, that is... Uh, talk about... Like, I mean, there is the opioid epidemic and people dying of heroin overdoses, and that's crazy. The idea of putting a needle in myself is just gives me the creeps. I guess you have to really be desperate or, I think, in some major psychological pain uh, to go through that. You have to be so... That's one thing about drug addiction that I know some people understand, but it's kind of like t telling a manic depressive... Yeah, just cheer up. Be happy. You know, those up periods where you're feeling euphoric, just keep that going. Just yeah, maintain it. You're good. Don't, you're good. Don't worry. Don't let yourself get down. Positive thoughts. Turn that frown upside down, sunshine. Can't rain every day. Exactly. <laughs> Why are you such an Eeyore? <laughs> Which I've been told, but, you know, I own it. I own being a human Eeyore. All four stars of it. It's just... Uh, it's to say that to a man depressive. It's similar to saying to a drug addict, "Well, just say no." It's a little more complicated than that. Obviously, the end goal is stop doing drugs. You can't handle it. But usually, people aren't just like, "Oh, I was having fun. Now I'm just caught in this." There's something else going on there. Eighteen months of semen injections. <laughs> I don't, that is just, I wonder what that guy's social life was like, like what was going through what his country head. is he from? Ireland. Oh, he was drunk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that might be it. I guess that self-medication wasn't uh, cutting it. Um, it. It's just bizarre stuff like that. Like there's no, I'm getting to where th the depths of depravity and idiocy that the human race can show don't surprise me any longer. They make me laugh. They made me go, ew, but my goodness. Once they started snorting condoms, I just changed it. Yeah, and then the Tide Pod thing. Yeah. No, I'm trying to think of some really crazy crap that were fads. You're a little older than I am, but when I was in high school, what I remember, which was really weird and I did not partake in, but I heard about, it, and it was usually girls in my class. They would, like, choke themselves to the point of passing out. Okay, autoerotic asphyxiation. No, there wasn't. They weren't adding anything erotic <gasps> oh, into it. You're talking about the the you 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 bend over and you you like you breathe really really hard for thirty seconds and then you stand up and somebody pushes you on your chest and it, you kind of you basically right. pass out. Right, and it's just like, what are you doing? I I did try it once, but yeah. then I passed out and uh uh you didn't like it. No, not cool. It's just the the length some people go, and there are always reasons for this. I mean, sometimes it's just I wasn't thinking, but there's usually some reason people seek out weird alternative behavior. Attention. But you know, this is the grand experiment of life, folks. Sometimes somebody does something weird. And it works out. Hey, you freak show. I mean, it's an old joke out there, but who's the first guy to look at an utter? Hmm. 
I'm going to drink what's coming out. <laughs> now, that's, you know, you can put two and two together. Humans produce milk. Cows produce milk. It helps the baby cow. It, that doesn't take too much of a stretch. But, you know, some people ex- tinker and experiment, and it's very fatal. Other people tinker and experiment, and it's a boon to the human race. Like the first guy to swallow a sword. Right. Or one of those guys that take a nail and they stick it in their nose. Yeah, and magicians do this. Yeah. Co- uh, comedians, in a way, do this. And... Here's to more of an apropos topic having to do with something you've been telling me about your own life, Seth. And I've thought about it, too. I mean, we've all heard, I think, the phrase, nice guys finish last. Yeah. And is it really true? I was reading a fascinating article on The Atlantic called White Pays to Be a Jerk. And there's this new book that came out with data that suggests that actually people at the top of their professions are givers not takers. The people that are constantly giving contacts, giving information how to do jobs, they're very open and nice about it and interested in other people. They're very selfless and giving. And a lot of those people end up on top. But it didn't quite seem right because people started reading the biography of Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. And he was, uh, in many ways, an unrepentant a-hole. Now, that's different than being an ass like myself. I just say things. And that's probably why He died from cancer. Well, maybe. Some might think that's karma and how it works. But I don't know. I mean, there is something to it that it takes all types. It's counterintuitive. And this article is way too long to read. But there is one little anecdote I want to share. A famous name you might remember, folks. And really, I'll give the end of the story away. It takes all types. Sometimes people end up on top who are very giving, very nice. Sometimes people end up on top who are only takers, who are, for lack of a better word, a-holes, who are very boisterous. They break a lot of social rules. They are just rude, but they somehow get away with it. And the way it's described in the article is like a U on a graph. I was mentioning this last night, where actually both types end up on the bottom and the top. I want to share this anecdote. It's a name you folks might know. Not this name, though. But when George Cabot Lodge, you might recognize the Cabot Lodge, but when George Cabot Lodge, a professor emeritus at Harvard Business School, talks of the pre-war years, pre-World War II, he remembers a specific game of tackle football he played as a 10-year-old. And the man screaming and swearing on the sidelines. The man was wearing boots and breeches, apparently just off a horse, and was extorting his son with four-letter words to get in there and fight. It was 1937. America was at peace. George S. Patton, ah, there's the name, you know, was not at peace. So conspicuous was the cavalryman among the mothers, and it was only mothers, Lodge recalls, at the Shore Country Day School on Boston's genteel North Shore that Lodge remembers feeling bad for Patton's son, also named George, who was playing tackle. Lodge, whose father had just been elected to the Senate, was playing guard. The next time Lodge saw Patton was five years later, in 1942. The Lodges and the Pattons went for a picnic at Fort Benning. On the way home, Senator Lodge took Patton's military vehicle and Patton drove the Lodge's civilian car, with Mrs. Lodge up front and Lodge the Younger in back. 
We are racing along this straight road, going about 70, when all of a sudden Patton takes out his ivory handle revolver from its holster and starts shooting in the air. Lodger calls. I guess to liven up the trip for me. A military policeman pulled him over, as if on script to receive the obligatory, don't you know who the hell I am? Then Lodge says Patton clapped the embarrassed MP on the shoulder and said, that's all right, young man, you're just doing your job. And then he pulled onto the road and sped away, pistol blazing. Decades after Patton made his historic mechanized thrust across the plains of Europe, the World War II veteran and social historian Paul Fussell told a reporter that he wanted to write a book about the general. It was going to ask, is success in generalship related to the perversion of being a bully in social life? The book never came to pass, but Patton is a valuable case study on several counts. First, Lodge's story underscores the importance of context. Traits that serve you well in one context, wartime Europe, for instance, do not necessarily serve you well in another peacetime Massachusetts, as another instance, which would recommend a kind of adaptability that Patton lacked. But second, Patton raises the question of the jerk's value to the group. Bullying his own soldiers got Patton reprimanded and sidelined. In 1943, he slapped two privates suffering from battlefield fatigue and awaiting evacuation. His ability to bully the enemy, however, is what restored him to favor five months later. Now, the author goes on to, in this piece in the Atlantic, it's called Why Being a Jerk Pays, I think. And he starts thinking about, like, people in his own life who are kind of bullies, who are kind of a-holes. And, like, why is this valuable in society? Because, yeah, because the theme we hear these days is bullying is always wrong. And if you ask me, and I'm not really thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, stand up to the bully. That bully's probably insecure for some reason, or whatever. But if you really think about it, we do have bullies. We do have a-holes in our lives, and sometimes they're not just tolerated, they are rewarded immensely. And here's where the logic goes. That a bully, somebody that breaks the rules, when they accrue those benefits because they break the rules and then pass them out to people, end up being incredibly rewarded, like they are seen as leaders. They're doing things that most people who take and who follow the rules wouldn't do, but because the bully is passing out the goodies, it's like, okay, well, I wouldn't do it, but thankfully he's doing it. He's doing it and sharing the love. Right. And there's an experiment they did where they had two office mates, like... Walking around, it's like, think of a cubicle setting. And a guy's got a pot of coffee on his desk. And the, one of the guys takes the coffee and just pours it for himself, even though it's not his coffee, and drinks it. That kind of didn't go over well, but it still showed he was strong. He was willing to break rules and just didn't care. When the guy went and got coffee of his own and gave it to people, that was actually seen as a sign of weakness in the short term. If you're so giving and always nice to people, people, even if they're not thinking about it, see it as weakness. Only in the short term, though. Let's keep that in mind for now. But when the guy 
takes the coffee, pours some for himself, and pours some for the other guy walking with him. He's seen as a leader, as a go-getter, a guy who doesn't care who he steps on, but it's going to benefit my group and my cause. So think about people like that in your lives, folks. In particular, a lot of our politicians are that way. It's like, who the hell would say that? But then sometimes you're like, "Mm, I wish I had said it. I wish I had the Uh cones to say it. But he did it for me. There are other people that are leaders in everyday life that that sort of rewards. But there's a downside to everything. There's always pros and cons. That if you are known sort of as a bully, as an a-hole, then if you really mess up, like something comes out about you that's terrible or whatever, well, in the instance of... uh, like Bill O'Reilly's recently back in the news saying Fox News is untethered to their audience. The only person they still have that built that base is Sean Hannity. But O'Reilly was kind of known as a guy who just tell it like it is. He would speak his mind. And you could say that he, and it's not just unique to Bill O'Reilly, but a lot of pundits and talk show hosts can be bullying in a way. And that works. But when he was accused of harassment and all these things in the office, his fall was very swift. Because if you are known and you're just general, even if you like the bully, even the bully's down with your cause, when a bully really messes up, they don't really have much of a social safety net to fall back on. That brings me back to the idea of a giver. In the short term, people who give are seen as weak. Why are you immediately just being nice to me? And again, folks, people don't even, this is like subconscious stuff. But in the long term, when you realize, oh, they're not doing it because they're weak. They're doing it because they actually are gracious. They're caring. They're selfless. Those people start to be seen as leaders in the long run. Now, obviously, the optimal thing is this adaptability. If Patton had been able to be a bully in wartime Europe and then sort of a gentleman in peacetime Massachusetts, it would have served him better. But there is a point to all this. Essentially, we need all types. So the next time you're looking at that bully or you're worrying, why do the worst get on top? Why why is it that nice guys always seem to finish last? It's because, well, sometimes you need people in the world to test our boundaries. But also, nice guys don't finish last. If you keep at it, you keep making the right decisions, you act with charity and grace towards others, and you have your own boundaries and you stick by them, people will gravitate towards you. They remember it. When you do yeah. a nice thing for somebody at, right off the bat, they think, oh, they think weakness, you know? Yeah. But six months down the road, you see that person, they're going to remember you doing that thing. Right. And then it it kind of sticks with them. Well, and I think you've described this in your own life, that you do a lot of stuff for other people. Yeah. Out of the goodness of your heart, and sometimes it feels like you're being taken for granted. It sucks. On. Yeah. Sometimes it just sucks, but you got to do it because it's the right thing. It and pays then off, though. And it always comes back around. Yeah. I mean, it always comes back around. Uh, I, I always wanted to be in here. And right. now I get to be in here, but like three of the people that work in this building, I used to work with them. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> they know the old stuff. Well, but they remember me. And right. I may have been drunk back then, right. but I was still the same guy. Well, at least you weren't self-medicating with something else. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sticking myself in myself. You're right. <laughs> Weird story out of Ireland. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, the more I'm, I'm becoming... My new favorite topic is psychology. It's because great. it always seems like we reduce... 
like bad person, good person, way we reduce down to those categories way too quickly. Now, of course, that's all you got. Well, you yeah. can't throw bad person, good person because everybody's both. Right, because people are very complicated. They'll confound your labels. Uh, people that you expect to always and forever be your opponent uh, are going to be terrible. And people say who are incredibly talented entertainers may be really bad people in their personal <laughs> life. So people like Bill Cosby, America's dad. Now that is a particular case of maybe a great cover story. But yeah, we can't expect everything to fit neatly into a little box. What you think you see you might not be the truth. Right. I mean, you got to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, no matter what you think, because what we think doesn't matter. Well, and you can learn from everybody. Oh, everybody even the something. worst, and even and the best, and the so-called average. Well, most people are average. That's what it means yeah. to be average. I consider myself fairly average on many fronts. And then when you're 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 not average when you think out of the box, right? And you keep pushing. Yeah, just keep your nose to the grindstone. But one place that is not average, they go above and beyond. To help you take care of those little furry pets you love so much. And if you're starving, the biscuits are great. The biscuits over <laughs> at Four Healthy Pets. Yes, and I... Well, you admitted it. Seth Spotlow here has even tried the dog biscuits. Organic blueberry, and they look like little teddy grams. And they're meant for dogs, but you tried them, and you... Th- Found they were delicious. They are very good. Wow, that's impressive. Yes. But they've also got the chicken crack, which is essentially like all-natural chicken jerky. And Teresa over at 4 Healthy Pets can also find, besides treats like the chicken jerky, like the all-natural, like, what'd you say, it's like a blueberry biscuit? Yeah, it's like a organic blueberry Teddy Graham. Oh, that's so good. But And the uh, Meow Awana. Oh, there's so many different strains. Of catnip. It's great. <laughs> it's amazing. But they also have your everyday feeding uh, brands that are high-quality, top-notch, because Teresa over at 4 Healthy Pets takes the time to source things responsibly. She checks it out, and she's looking out for her own pets, and she decided to start 4 Healthy Pets to look out for your pets. Make sure they're healthy, happy, so you can be healthy and happy, because uh, Healthy, happy pet means a healthy, happy owner. And it is worth going by for healthy pets at the Village East Shopping Center on Atlanta Highway, right next to Faulkner University, where the old Skate Haven used to be. If it's specialty, she will order it for you. Yes. And when you walk in the door, it'll be right there on the right with the rack with your little name stuck to it. And they'll even get this auto order system in to where if you know you have a particular brand after talking with Teresa, you can call her up and be like, hey, I'm about to be there. And she'll meet you right outside. Bring her right to your car. She goes above and beyond as a lot of our sponsors do. So if you want to say hi to Teresa, just go by the Village East Shopping Center at Four Healthy Pets. Tell her Joey said hi. You can check out more of their services. They have grooming services. I think they just hired a groomer. There, there's so many things they could do over at Four Healthy Pets, and you can visit them at fourhealthypetsonline.com. Again, that's F-O-R healthypetsonline.com. And she will make sure your little cat, your little dog, well, maybe it's a big cat or big dog, will end up healthy, happy. So, you remain the same. And she's awesome. She was she's nice just great. She's just great. That's what we look for in sponsors. Yeah. Good person. Down to earth people that are good people, hardworking entrepreneurs, taking a few risks, making our lives better. They, she does have a cat nicknamed Mouse. That's just adorable. So we got to hit this break. Cameras are up here. You see, I'm 
I'm shimmying. I'm dancing. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fresh. I'm feeling alive. You look like a little Greg. But I'm still trying to figure out, should I be a baby-faced good guy or should I be a heel, like an a-hole? Like, because it seems like both end up on top. <laughs> and of course I want to end up on top. For you, it depends on the day. <laughs> Indeed. Joey Clark. I know it is fun to wrestle. Nice pile drive to the face. Run punch to the face. Yes, yes it is. To the face. There's something about wrestling that's fun. Kids do it. It's built in. How can you not? I mean, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Stretchy pants. Stretchy pants. And Jack Black's hilarious. He really is. Yeah, I, I saw Tenacious D at, in Birmingham at Sloss Furnace. 10 or 15 years ago, and it was hilarious. I mean, besides the music and the band, because it was just him and the other guy, and during between the songs when he would talk, I just laughed the whole time. It was hilarious. Yeah, we're hoping. Have I told you about this show that comes out on Wednesday nights? Uh, I was talking with Eric and Emily about it last week. Uh, this new show on Fox called The Mass Singer. Oh, man. You don't like it? Uh, <clears throat> okay. No, this goes back to your phobia. No. Musical. No, this is not a musical. I didn't say I, I, I'm... I saw the previews when they st- first started showing it, and uh, they were like, oh, who's the mass Singer, you know? Right. And the first one I saw, of course, it was... It had to be Christina Aguilera. I mean, because it just sounded like her. Which one? Uh, uh, the, the gold one. Oh, yeah, the lion? Yeah, yeah. No, who, who was it? They haven't revealed it yet. Really? She was so good, she went on. The way this show works, folks, is uh, essentially people come out in these ridiculously ornate mascot outfits. You cannot tell <laughs> physically <laughs> who they are. I mean, sometimes you can tell, well, that's a woman. Look at those hips. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, like the lion. But they got Ooh. gloves. You can't see skin. You, you can't, can't see nothing. anything. Um, we're pretty sure one of them is Terry Bradshaw, the deer. Really? Yeah. Wow. But the show was opened up with The Peacock. And we're pretty sure, because it was amazing, like, it was somebody who knows what they're doing. And we're like, who is that? Donny Osmond. Really? Was yeah, it? Yeah, older Donny Osmond. He's been performing in Vegas for so long. But we're hoping Jack Black ends up on it. But this last week, the pineapple lost. And when you lose, you have to reveal who you are. First week, it was Antonio Brown who lost, and he was revealed. Second week, the pineapple lost. And we knew who it was immediately as soon as he started singing. It was Tommy Chong. Oh. <laughs> and he's, he sang I Will Survive, but the cake version. Oh, it was, oh okay. It was great. Cool. But cool. we definitely knew it was Tommy Chong. Because they give hints before they perform. You can't miss him, man. Right. I mean, he's very easy to catch. Yeah. Um, but then the judges are idiots. I think they're told to be idiots. Oh. She's like, oh, it's Cheech. It's like, no, oh, it's come not. come on. Oh, that, I got that shirt that has Cheech and Chong on it. Just a picture of them. And yeah. it doesn't say who it is. And people, oh, you look just like Cheech. And it's like, man, come on. I don't have a stash. No, no, and you don't. I don't have a stash. Maybe you I need look to be like a little shorter and a little more like plumpy. I don't mean fat. I mean like yeah. rounded and a mustache. I got right. a beard. Right. It's 
some people Big just, difference. When people say I look like a certain... Number one, they go to the quickest stereotype. Like, Joey, you have long hair. You look like Johnny Depp. You, <laughs> Joey, you have long hair. You look like John Wick. That is my favorite. John, one. yeah. I like I'll take Keanu Reeves Yeah, me too. Day. That man me does not too. age. I age like Johnny... Yeah. Uh, uh, Keanu Reeves. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Are you about to say Johnny Utah? Yeah, no. <laughs> great movie. Johnny great. Mnemonic. Oh, man. <laughs> that was a... But yeah, so people kind of go to the quickest thing. One that I will agree with that I look like, and people told me this in high school and I didn't see it for the longest time, but it's true, especially when I went to Just the Mustache, uh, look up the What's My Age Again video, Tom DeLong. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, I do you do resemble like Tom DeLong. We yeah. have the chubby cheeks and yep. the kind of smaller eyes. Dude from Blink. Small, beady eyes. You can't trust us. Their first couple albums were really good. They really were, but I actually saw Tom DeLong in concert opening up for Weezer in Atlanta, and he sucked. <laughs> it was yeah, so bad. I saw them. Um, it was not good. It was Jimmy World, Green Day, and then Blink-182, and they were in Birmingham. And right. Jimmy World was eh. Green Day was awesome, and they should have gone last, but Blink-182, and after Green Day went, Blink came on, and it was just like, eh, time to go now. And something can be up and down like that. And by the way, folks, the uh, government is uh, shilling. Shilling. Yeah, shilling. It's still shut down. No more camping trips. No, no, no. You can't go to uh, national parks or anything. I'm I'm sure you could still sneak in, but they're closed. They're very much closed. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has tried to disinvite Donald Trump from giving the State of the Union January 29th, I believe. Is that possible? Actually, it is a a formality, and it's never been tested before, but for the president to come into a joint session of Congress and give his State of the Union speech, the speaker has always invited the president. Now, this, again, has always been a formality, but she's saying because she's... This is the problem with Pelosi. She's so fake. I feel like she's like living her, on borrowed time. Like her fake Botox face. Like, well, we're worried about security concerns. Really, Nancy? Or are you worried that this guy's going to use the bully pulpit while you have to sit behind him and make sure your face doesn't twitch into a position that stays there for the rest of your life? She can't show her age, man. She's like 105. Right. I, I, we'll see what happens. Because Congress is a co-equal branch. And in many ways, I think the presidency, not having anything to do with Trump, I just think the presidency in general needs to be brought down a peg. But, you know, I... Oh, by the way, I met a guy at the convenience store. I don't know if he was uh, trying to hit me up for something or not. I think he was. But he did ask, like, what do you do? His name's E. He said his daughter's name's Paris. E, if you're listening, Hello. Good to meet you earlier today. I just thought of that. Oh. Yeah, I am a real person. I don't just stay up here as a disembodied voice. I actually have a you know, body, and <laughs> I, I intend to use it. In a small BMW. Indeed. With Let's a top see. that never goes up. Why the hell would somebody call the show? 272-9228. Do you have any a-holes in your life that you appreciate? Do you have any people that are selfless givers that you find weak? Give me a call. 272 272- Nine two two eight. News talk. Who's this? You're on there. I don't know why I call the show either. I know, man. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> but uh, reflecting back to your uh, early comment commentary on the uh, IV inseminator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's just uh, that's a little nutty. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> inseminator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Uh, like, I just, sometimes you read something and go, really? It's, I was amazed, though, that he was Irish and not a Florida man. Yeah, that's where I was thinking. I'm, I'm like, all right, Florida. 
Right. Backwoods, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the old, old wise tales uh, saying spit on your own wound and everything. You might heal it up a little bit, but, I mean, take them to the extreme. Well, but, it actually reminded me something. This ties together all the themes of this week. Toxic masculinity or whatever the <laughs> hell that means. And, like, all sorts of different things. I remember playing high school football. Kid fell in the dirt. And as happens sometimes when you fall on the grass, he got a really bad scrape. That wasn't just a bruise. It was one of those pretty bad, like, that's going to scab up sort of scrapes. And the coach goes, oh, get in there, son. Just rub some dirt on it. It was just, and the, this is just the old normal figure of speech. We've all heard that. The kid proceeds to grab dirt and start rubbing it in his wound. <laughs> you're like, dude, the stop. Whole, the whole spit on it thing is, uh, I believe it's actually true, because they say that your saliva has antibodies that right. can only help, well, that work for you better than anybody else. So if you cut yourself and you lick it, it'll... Does uh, apple a day actually keep the doctor away? Because I don't really eat apples. Too much work. <laughs> Y'all are getting out of hand now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Uh... I appreciate the show, man. Y'all appreciate have a good night. Yeah, Thanks, Scott. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's um, another thing I was reading. It's having to do with psychology. It ties into why bullies are so effective, but also givers. But also sometimes somebody who was a giver on their way to the top ends up being a bit of a bully and not even realizing they're doing it. Another interesting article about how the headline's provocative, how power causes brain damage. Now, they mean it could be political power, it could be you're a powerful CEO of a company, could even mean you're a you know powerful religious figure, whatever. You have power in some form, uh, maybe a celebrity in some way. It's hard not to power trip. Well, what happens, they say, technically speaking, is that these people that get to the top who become very powerful lose their ability to mirror other people. And... Again, this is sort of the subconscious cues we give to one another, that if somebody is right in front of you you and you're speaking to them, you'll pick up on a lot of different body language, how they're feeling. There's a lot of unspoken things going on that you pick up on. You might not even be aware of it, but you, most people, those who aren't all that powerful, will adjust, realizing they'll start mirroring what somebody else is doing. When you become powerful, apparently that part of the brain stops working it's the, the way they described it is anesthetize it's been kind of doped up to where you don't even recognize it. and they did one you don't s- care they give some meat on the bone uh one simple study they did is they told participants in the study draw an e with this marker it's not permanent draw an e with this marker on your forehead in the mirror and they said most people who are kind of everyday folks drew the e knowing that it would look like an E correctly to people looking at them. So in the mirror, you draw backwards. Mm -hmm. People who had a lot of power in this study, for one reason or another, drew the E to where it looked correct to them in the mirror. Wow, that's a self... Man. And it's it's just something that happened... But it's also advantages to this, that apparently it makes you more efficient at making quick decisions... Even though you do stereotype people, it allows you to sort of deal with people in a quicker way. Um, and though it can be a downfall, that the, the sort of giving and considerate nature of people on their way up 
what got them there to the top is no longer there. And so they have a lot of difficulty dealing with it. But it, it always goes to, I firmly believe, power corrupts. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that can be very self-conscious of it and try to work at it. But it might be that if you are dealing with such big decisions that affect millions of lives, maybe it's a protective way uh, for the brain to protect itself. Because if you're having to consider all sorts of people, uh, it's going to be very tough to make a decision very quickly. You've got to be a little numb to what other people are going through, and it might hurt, but it also can help in the long run. Lesser two evils. Yeah. I mean, you got big choices like that. And I, it's you got to focus on being humble. I agree. You know. But they said in these studies, they even told participants that what we're doing here is to see how you react to people in an empathy-mirroring sort of way, even though you're powerful. They, and even with that knowledge of you got to stay humble... Uh, they couldn't. Maybe they, they couldn't help it. Maybe it's something they learned from the climb to the top. Exactly. You maybe. Know, you start as one-on-one, and the more up you are up there, the more less there are below you. And you, instead of thinking for you and one other person, you're thinking for you and 20 other people. And you can't go and ask 20 people their opinions. Right. Well, and this gets to my point of why I don't like the presidency being all that powerful Well, heck, I don't like the whole government being all that powerful because I think society, we need a little bit of top-down enforcement. It's good to have some stable structures that keep order, and that's the conservative in me. Once you have order and lose it, it's often very hard to get it back. An orderly society is very precious. But if you try to stay too orderly, you end up in an authoritarian society like North Korea or China or something. It's more a mix of top-down enforcement of order and then allowing people to be free from the bottom up to allow for changes and new ideas and new innovations. And I'm worrying our society, to put it simply, is becoming too top-down. We're looking to the government and the people we elect and don't elect to solve our problems for us. Or maybe we think, well, they're just going to anyway, so let's just play the game ourselves. I don't know. But also, I just saw it on the screen. This new Gillette commercial. Is this it? Yeah. Now, actually, this commercial, when I saw it, it's like, well, whatever. Um, It didn't piss me off as much as the American Psychological Association story and what guidelines for treating boys and men. If you want to listen to that show, by the way, is traditional masculinity toxic? It's in the Joey Clark Radio Hour podcast archives. Oh, with 84. Yeah, I did that last night with 84, Southernwood, whatever the hell we're calling them these days. And uh, he and I really explored that. They had some things right. I mean, you shouldn't be always looking for a fight. Maybe you shouldn't always bottle up your feelings. It's a great Bill Burr line. Being a man means acting like you know what you're doing and suppressing your emotions. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. Mm. Though, interesting enough, that uh, study about power and about why a-holes and jerks finish first suggested, and it's fascinating, that if you don't know what you're doing, like a given topic, like one thing is like look at a map, a kind of a blank outline of the United States, and here's 16 cities, put a pin in where the cities are on the map. Even if you don't know what you're doing, if you act like you know what you're doing, people will think you actually know geography. <laughs> and then here's the kicker, though, that is fascinating. If you continue to act overconfident, you actually end up knowing what you're doing, eventually. 
It's great. It's amazing <laughs> that fake it until you make it is actually <laughs> totally backed up true. by some science now. Yeah. It's it's pretty incredible. And so all the bluster you see in politics and well again I come back to wrestling. All the bluster you see people going through it, you actually will become that thing if you keep pushing at it. Now, like I said before, if you really mess up and you do something, society goes, ugh, that's gross. What's wrong with you? You might fall off. It's one of them things that what you rub on rubs off. Yeah. Even if you don't know what the hell you're doing. But this, uh, this Gillette ad, at night's debate on toxic masculinity. That's the headline or the subheading here on Fox News at the moment on the story with Martha McCallum. <laughs> Is that who I'm going up against? Ah, she's still beating the pants off me or something like that. Um, yes. This idea that our corporations, like the big corporations, need to tell us what to do and who to be. That'd they be. have a social responsibility as powerful corporate entities with pull in society to push responsible social messages. I think it's a bunch of crap. I feel like they haven't learned from anybody else's uh, trying to do that. When they try, try to tell the people what to do, you know what the people do? Exactly the opposite. Well, and let me be clear. It's even when I agree with the message. Like, sometimes I'm such a contrarian. Even if I agree with the message... It's like, here, liberty and justice for all. Let's have smaller government. Brought to you by Pfizer. It's like, oh, shove it up your backside, Pfizer. You know what happened, Gillette? They got mad at, uh, 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 what is it, uh, um, the Dollar Shave Club. <laughs> right, right. Well, apparently people have been reporting all sorts of alternative shaving brands all over social media today. They must have did some big social media buy. Oh, now's our chance. It's Gillette's six, pissed people off. Six months ago, I saw a Gillette ad that was like, Gillette, we are made in Boston. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. Your plastic well, handles are in Boston. The rest is in Europe. This is actually how the market should work. If Gillette is saying boys will be boys is not good enough. And actually on the Me Too movement, that front, yeah, that's, I think, correct. There is, I think, an element of, do I really need to be told this? A lot of people would say that, like, yeah, I, I know that's inappropriate behavior. But I'd imagine there's going to be some lesser brand, an upstart brand, that says, boys will be boys. If your kids are play fighting in the backyard, just let them hash it out. <laughs> and shave. Against the grain. <laughs> <laughs> shave with B will be B. <laughs> Uh, it's it's fascinating how this always comes around. It, we got to let freedom work, let the market work, let people be bullies, let people be givers. It, it takes all types, folks. Let people have choices. Exactly. We can work from the bottom up. A little bit of top-down control, but we can figure things out largely on our own. And the help of others, even the bullies and the a-holes, the winners and the losers, as Donald Trump said on New Year's Eve. Nobody wants to stub their toe. Yeah, nobody does, but we all we do. do. <laughs> Seth, I appreciate you being here. No problem. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening, folks. Be back tomorrow night. Too many lights. <laughs> Joey Clark. I'm afraid I can't. I'm afraid of Americans. I mean, who isn't?